This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. The coup in Myanmar is the latest flex of military muscle in a nation that's 70 years into a fight for democracy. In this episode of Squeeze Shortcuts, we cover Myanmar's history, the rise of its popular de facto civilian leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, and the events that led up to the coup on the 1st of February. Squeeze Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Before we get to the latest chapter in Myanmar's troubled road to democracy, Claire, a quick geography lesson. It's still referred to by some nations as Burma. It's in Southeast Asia and neighbours Thailand, Laos, Bangladesh, China and India. A thousand years ago, it was a strong Buddhist kingdom. It expanded its territory and saw off invasions by the big names, including the Mongols. During the 1800s, Claire, the territory was in the sights of the British Empire. They wanted control because it provided a backdoor to lucrative trade with China. That saw the British Empire claim Burma in the 1880s. It's important because it sowed the seeds for ongoing issues in modern-day Myanmar. The British made Burma a province of India in 1886 and they instigated mass migration to Burma. Indians were brought in to fill civil service jobs and the business interests of Burma's neighbours were encouraged and that bred a lot of resentment with the Burmese people. We'll get to the issues with the Rohingya Muslim Muslim ethnic minority in Myanmar in detail later. But as far as the British, it's fair to say that their presence was never really welcomed there, Claire. A Burmese armed resistance was maintained and after years of fighting led by General Aung San, the British separated Burma province from British India in 1937 and it became independent in 1948. General Aung San sounds familiar. He's the father of Myanmar's pro-democracy leader Aung San Suu Kyi. He didn't live to see independence because he was assassinated in 1947 and in many people's eyes died a hero. Claire, it was at that point that Burma became a democratic socialist country with an elected government. However, its struggling economy and unrest saw the military rise in influence. In 1962, there was a coup. And that saw General Ni Win become Burma's military dictator. He held that position between 1962 and 1988. Under his rule, the constitution was suspended, political opposition was banned, the press was muzzled and the country was closed off to the rest of the world. And for that, it was considered an outcast nation by much of the international community. There were many, though, who wanted something different for Myanmar. Enter Aung San Suu Kyi, the figurehead and leader of that movement for change. Let's get into her story now. General Aung San, the father of Aung San Suu Kyi, died in 1947 when she was just two years old. She left for India with her mother, eventually made it to the UK where she studied at Oxford. She married a British guy called Michael Aris, a scholar and expert in Himalayan culture and history. They had two sons together. It wasn't until she was in her 40s, Claire, that she returned to Myanmar, primarily to look after her ill mother. As she arrived, a pro-democracy push was getting ahead of steam and in a famous speech, 
speech in August 1988, she said, and this is the quote, I could not, as my father's daughter, remain indifferent to all that was going on. Her father was a folklore hero at that point and she'd really captured people's hearts with her non-violent stance and what they saw as her integrity and that saw her targeted by the military and she was put under house arrest in mid-1989. That was part of the response to that growing democracy movement and more broadly the military reimposed martial law across the country. So it was quite a surprise when the military honoured a promise to hold elections in 1990. Not so much of a surprise was that Su Chi's National League for Democracy Party won overwhelmingly. And after that, it also wasn't so surprising that the military refused to hand over power to Su Chi's party. That didn't see her go away, though. She won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1991 for her work to bring democracy to Myanmar. That's when she sort of became a really big name around the world. And it was that growing international profile that seemed to catch the military rulers in Myanmar off guard. And it then prompted what turned into years of discussions and conventions to agree a pathway to democracy as Suu Kyi went in and out of house arrest. In the early days, she was in solitary confinement, but as the years went on, she was allowed visitors and she was even given permission to travel to the UK to see her husband after he fell ill. He ultimately died from cancer in the UK in 1999. Sadly, it turns out she didn't go to see him, believing she'd not be allowed back into the country. So big sacrifices were made for her personally, which it said many of her 53 million citizens have not forgotten to this day. Skipping ahead to 2010, that was a significant year for democracy in Myanmar, Claire. That's right. It saw Myanmar's first elections in two decades, but Suu Kyi's party was prevented from running. Despite that, those elections did see the military hand over power to a civilian-led government, albeit one backed by the military. And following that election, Suu Kyi was released from house arrest in the five years then to 2015. She travelled, she held rallies, and she had some pretty high-profile visitors too, including US President Barack Obama. Come the 2015 election and Suu Kyi's party, the National League for Democracy, were the overwhelming victors. That election, Claire, was Myanmar's first openly contested election in 25 years, but Suu Kyi was prevented still from becoming the nation's leader. In a twist, under the constitution, anyone with children who are foreign citizens can't be president. Critics say that's firmly aimed at keeping her from that top job. So Mm. instead, she became the state councillor and de facto leader. Also a part of the constitution is the provision for the military to hold on to some levers of power over the parliament. And that sees 25% of the seats go to the military and they also appoint some key ministers. With that, there's significant friction within the government in Myanmar. But come November last year and another election, the people spoke and they delivered again an overwhelming vote of confidence in Suu Kyi and the NLD. Which brings us to last week when after that win, the parliament was due to resume, but instead the military took power by way of a coup. Of course, a coup just simply means the illegal seizure of power from a government. It's a cycle that seems to never end for Myanmar. Claire, there's more to why they've done on this and there's more to me and Ma's story. Let's get into that now. (music) 
So where things are at right now, Claire, is that the military is back in charge. They've declared a year-long state of emergency. They've backed the opposition, who badly lost the election held late last year. We'll get to that result in a bit, but Claire, the military and Suu Kyi's NLD were in an unhappy power-sharing arrangement between 2015 and this year, but they didn't always disagree. In fact, it was her defence of the military's 2017 crackdown against the Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar's Rakhine state that saw Suu Kyi fall from her international human rights pedestal. And to summarise a very, very big issue, it was 2017, more than 740,000 Rohingya fled Myanmar after the military launched a campaign that the UN has described as ethnic cleansing and genocide. International officials have said that the nation's military generals should be tried for the gravest crimes against humanity. And that's why there was grave disappointment that Suu Kyi didn't speak out to condemn the atrocities. In fact, In late 2019, she fronted the International Court of Justice in The Hague and she defended the military's actions. At its core, this is a question of ethnic history in the Buddhist majority country. In that hearing, Claire, she chided foreigners for not having a good enough understanding of Myanmar's complex ethnic and social history. Her defenders say that she was constrained by the military's control over her government and Myanmar, but her critics say she didn't speak out because she's a nationalist who is wildly popular with the Buddhist majority that holds little sympathy for the Rohingya. It certainly jarred with her image as a defender of human rights. So the question, Claire, is how did things go from Suu Kyi defending the military to them launching a coup against her and her government? While the military and Suu Kyi were on the same page about the persecution of the Rohingya, they weren't in agreement about her growing popularity and what it meant for the military's grip on control. Mm. And as we touched on, there was an election late last year and the NLD won that election in a landslide. It hoovered up 80% of the vote. And the next closest party was that military-backed USDP party. It had about 5% of the vote. For the military's part, they claimed there's voter fraud at play. That's despite the country's election commission and international observers saying there's no evidence to support these claims. When action wasn't taken to overturn the result, a coup was launched against Suu Kyi. The president, Win Mint, and other senior members of the NLD party were detained in raids. Reports say they're being kept under house arrest and as it went down, state media TV and radio broadcasts were stopped, internet access was restricted, phone lines have been cut, the airports were closed, all in order to maintain stability, authorities say. Communications have been restored and taken down again as the biggest protests in more than a decade were launched in the wake of that coup. As for Suu Kyi, she's now facing up to three years in prison after being charged with the possession of walkie-talkies. Authorities claim they were illegally imported. Most commentary, though, says that's a stretch. That led to the United Nations representative on human rights in Myanmar saying the military, and this is the quote, will try just about any charge they think can silence them and put them in prison. And what it's all about, of course, is a criminal conviction against Suu Kyi would see her barred from taking a position of power again. And for her part, Suu Kyi has urged her supporters to protest, which is a really risky business. Claire, what's the military's long-term plan in launching this coup? So experts say the military already has a really high degree of control. So it is a fair question to ask about what a year with absolute power will achieve. So Mm. it seems that in some people's eyes, 
as the military has gone backwards because a whole heap of commercial deals that they have involving international investors could stall and it could also galvanise millions of citizens against them. Given the military, as we said earlier, was guaranteed to hold 25% of parliamentary seats, it's certainly a risky move. If the aim is to improve their standings by sidelining the NLD and Suu Kyi, who are widely popular. Yeah, other experts, though, say that it's a more personal story and that's the personal ambition of the 64-year-old Commander-in-Chief Min Aung Halang. Mm. He's now running the country on behalf of the military after what some say has been a period where he felt that he was losing control and respect across Myanmar after last year's elections and the rejection of that military-backed party. Democracies around the world have spoken out against the coup. They voiced concerns for the safety of Suu Kyi, her team, and also foreign nationals who have been detained as part of this, including one known Australian economist, Professor Sean Turnell. To finish up, Claire, Aung San Suu Kyi has the support of the international community as far as this coup goes, but questions about her leadership remain. They do, and in the coverage about this coup has been a really strong theme about issues with Aung San Suu Kyi, obviously that issue with the Rohingya Muslims, and a sense that she wasn't the hero that they thought she was five years ago. But there's certainly a lot of sadness for the people of Myanmar when it comes to their democracy and what their future looks like. As with all our shortcuts on these big international issues... It's complicated. But that's your shortcut to the coup in Myanmar. On to our recommendations. Claire, each episode of Squiz Shortcuts, we recommend some further reading, watching, listening. Mine's a podcast today. The global news broadcast by the BBC has been covering this issue. They have episodes out daily. It's a great podcast for a range of topics, and a link to that is in your episode notes. Yeah, I like that one. I listen to that mm. one almost every day. It's a good one. Uh, I've got a link to Aung San Suu Kyi's uh, address that she gave when she received the Nobel Peace Prize. She wasn't there in person in 1991, but she did make it in 92. And it was really her big entrance to that global stage. And the world just seemed to fall in love with her as a pro-democracy advocate. Absolutely. She was a hero. Thanks as always for tuning in to Squeeze Shortcuts. If you have a request for a shortcut, please send us an email to hello at thesqueeze.com.au. We know we've promised a shortcut on Taiwan. It's coming, Claire. (laughs) It is. Maybe next week. We'll see how we go. It's a big one. It's an important (laughs) one. We need to get there. We will get there. We will get there. Um, And we hear hear your emails. We've seen them. Um, As I said, hello at thesqueeze.com.au. Until next week. 